But our primary purpose in assembling is to uh, a different kind of Remembrance Day. And it is to look into the pages of Scripture, and that's what we're going to do this morning. I have a very short subject I want to give you this morning, very short title. I debated with myself about different ones I might use, but it kind of came down to one very simple one, and it is simply this, it's do it, do it, do it. So we'll uh, see what that means as we proceed. Now, I'm going to share a little bit with you this morning. I, I, um, I don't know exactly how to... Um, let me just launch into this this way. I'm going to share a few things with you this morning. It's uh, basically uh, some thinking that's kind of evolving, if you like. Uh, I'm in the process of thinking this thing through. I haven't already thought it all through and, and have all it, you know, tied with nice little strings on it. Uh, I'm thinking this through. Uh, sometimes in your life you'll find that there will be events happening around you that will compress you. They'll wring you out and you'll find out what's on the inside of you. And I believe we need to be wrung out. We need to know what's on the inside. There's a great deal that needs to be there on the inside of us that perhaps is not there. There's so many wonderful promises in Scripture that we need to be appropriating, experiencing. There are obviously keys to these things. We are in need of eyes, our eyes being opened in ways that perhaps they have not been yet. And the circumstances that we are experiencing as we progress through time are requiring from us uh, in many ways things that we don't have and we find ourselves lacking in certain areas. This is not negative. This is just basically reality. I know the answers are in God's Word. We need to be able to see into the Word in ways as we progress and as we move forward. I've been saying this for a number of perhaps months, if not a couple of years, that we need to be prepared for the times that we're moving into. And so this morning I want to just kind of talk this through with you a little bit. And I want to ask you, uh, after you have received this information, this talk this morning, I want to ask you to continue to work this out yourself. I want to ask you to continue to search the Scriptures and, and search in the Scriptures with this kind of thought in mind. And so I'm going to begin this morning with you in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. This passage tells us about the cleansing of ten lepers that came to Jesus. Let me read this and then I'll open this up to you. And as he went to Jerusalem, it happened that he went through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, ten leprous men met him. They stood afar off from him. They lifted up their voice and they said, Jesus, Master, pity us, you know, have mercy on us and pity us. And seeing them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. Now they are leprous. And he tells them, go and show themselves to the priest. They were required by the Old Testament to go and show themselves to the priest 
when they had been healed or cleansed of their leprosy to be examined by the priest, then he would say, yes, you are clean. You may return to society and to your homes. But until he had declared them clean, they could not return to their homes. And Jesus simply says to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, what we want to look at this morning is that throughout the scriptures, it's very clear that there are certain things that must be done. And that's why we're talking this morning about do it. There are certain things that must be done. There are certain things that are the, they, they are key initiators. That when that is done, it initiates other things. Uh, you take a pebble and you toss it into the pond. And when you do that, then the result of that is the ripples go out and you watch the ripples go out. So there is a kind of continuous action or a sequence of events begin to occur as a consequence of you doing that one thing. So, throughout the ministry of Jesus, he it appears to me that he was continually requesting people to do certain things that I think you could say were initiators. And when the person obediently did that thing that he said do, then there's a, opens up a whole series of events that really opened up the realm of the miraculous. Now the wonder works, the 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 uh, wonderful works of God that we see, and yet something had to be done. But it isn't the case that just anything could be done. It's not a situation where human beings start to say, "Well, I'm just going to do something. I'm just going to become an initiator." No. No, it's not that. It's, it's an act of obedience. There's a directive given. And when the directive is given, when the directive is done or obeyed, then it opens up a series of events. Now, an example of that is here. Here they are, these uh, ten lepers. And, you know, I'm going to tell you that there's a uh, Israelites here. There's a Samaritan among them. So while there are lepers, and the uh, Israelites had no dealings with the Samaritans, okay, they despised the Samaritans. But now that they are lepers, and they kind of have their own leper society, and that's all they have, then it appears as if the Israelites and the Samaritans could uh, be together, right? They could have a social interaction as lepers because we're going to see as we come to the end of this that one returned afterwards the other nine did not and the one that returned was a Samaritan okay so here they are and they are, they are, they, they are lepers and they asked Jesus to have mercy on them and he said this go show yourselves to the priest now they had to decide if they would do that or not. They had to decide because they still have leprosy. Normally they would go and show themselves when they were clean. But they have leprosy. And Jesus is saying, even though you have leprosy, go and show yourself to the priests. Now you see the mind, the human mind, is tries to rationalize all these things. How can I go and show myself to the priests when I'm a leper? 
If the leprosy is removed from me, which is what I expected when I came and asked him to have mercy on me, if the leprosy would be removed from me, then I would gladly run to see the priests. But how can I go to see the priests when I'm still, I still have leprosy? See, So all these things. But they did it. And it says, and as they went, while they were in the process of walking to the place where the priests would be, they were cleansed. It says, and it happened as they went that they were cleansed. And so there is an initial act of obedience to the word of the Lord Jesus. And that initial act led to other events, including the miraculous event of the manifestation of, heal- of healing of their leprosy. It says one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. <laughs> he turned back. I can go and see the priest later. Uh, I don't really know if he went to see the priest and then came back or if he came back immediately. I, I sense he came back immediately. He says, and one of them saw that he was healed. He turned back and glorified God with a loud voice. And he fell down uh, on his face at the feet of Jesus, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. What is there about this particular healing of the, lep- of the leper? You know, it wasn't until 1873, almost 2,000 years later, in 1873, uh, there was a discovery made by a Norwegian doctor. His name was Gerhard Hansen. Gerhard Hansen, 1873. He discovered the cause of leprosy. It was a bacteria, a very slow-growing bacteria. And they named it M. leprae. So the name of the bacteria is M. leprae. This is what I'm saying now. For every sickness and every disease, there's a cause. There's a cause. There's a reason why it happens. We don't know sometimes what the reason is. But because we don't know what the reason is does not mean that there is not a reason because there is a reason. And if, from a scientific perspective, if scientific discovery understands what the cause is, then they can work on a cure. So, for example, in the last two decades, the last 20 years, somewhere, I think a World Health Organization says somewhere in the vicinity of 16 million people worldwide, 16 million, have been healed of leprosy. 16 million. And so how do they do that? Well, they do that with antibiotics. And they give various regimens of antibiotics, and they do it for a long period of time, depending on the kind of leprosy they have. Some leprosy is very slow-growing, some faster. But many people who take the antibiotics take it for one year, or sometimes more. So about a year of antibiotics. But it's caused by a bacteria, and they know what the bacteria is. And so we can find out what the bacteria is, then you can find out how to combat that bacteria. And in the days of Jesus, of course, during his ministry, they had no idea what the cause of it was, and they guessed at what the cause of it might be. What I want to say, though, is that the way in which Jesus healed or ministered healing had nothing to do with the scientific model. He did not use the scientific model. He didn't tell them to take antibiotics. 
they would have said, what's that? What's an antibiotic? And for Jesus to call it a bacteria, you know, in his, the way in which he would look at it and, and describe it, he may not even use that word. That's a word that we use. That word makes sense to us. We name it bacteria. He may use a very different word to describe it. But the point I'm trying to make is, the point I'm making is, that the authority for healing, according to the ministry of the Lord Jesus, was to have authority over everything as the creator. He had authority over bacteria. He had authority over everything. And he could simply speak or command and it must obey. So divine healing, as, in, as taught or instructed in the pages of Scripture, is very unlike scientific healing. The two cannot be compared. They're not the same thing. They are not the same. We say that this is miraculous, but it's only miraculous because we don't know how it happens. But the way it happens is, is that the word addresses the cause. The word of God addresses the cause. And the cause then must obey the word of God. That's the way it is. And it happens like that all the time in the pages of Scripture. But the very first thing that happens, and, and again, I'm inviting you to search the Scriptures yourself to see if you find this pattern. The very first thing that always happens is there's an act of obedience. A specific act of obedience and that's what I'm saying, do it. Say, what is it? What is it? You need to find out what it is and do it. Let me go back to Exodus chapter 4, just read a couple of verses to you about Moses. When Moses was being uh, interviewed by the great Jehovah God and being commissioned to go to Egypt, and Moses was given by Jehovah different signs that would manifest in the ministry of Moses. Now here's one that's a, second, a secondary sign. Listen to this, I'm going to read it to you. And Jehovah said to Moses, now put your hand in your bosom. So put your hand in your bosom, take your hand and put it inside your clothing, close to your body. And Jehovah said to him, put your hand in your bosom. So this is a this is a command. This is a directive. This is an instruction. This is, this is do it, right? Do it. So had Moses not done it, then there would be nothing else. Nothing would have happened. He had to do it. Not just do anything, but do this specific thing. Now this is not humanistic. This is not a case of, this is not... What's being taught is not the idea that we can just do something. We start doing things. This is not what's being taught. What's being taught is that there is a specific thing that we would be required to do. We must find out and hear and know what that is and then do it. That is something that's very easy because it's within our power. For example, Moses 
he had the ability to take his hand, to move his hand and put it in near his body. He wasn't asked to do an impossible thing. Now it says, put your hand in your bosom, and he, he obeyed. He put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was as leprous as snow. No, we're talking about leprosy. He removed his hand. Can you imagine what he thought? His first reaction. As he took his hand from his clothing, it was leprous. It was white as snow with leprosy. His hand. Now the authority over leprosy is very clear and has nothing to do with antibiotics. But the authority of God's word and authority to command is the authority of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so, then Jehovah spoke again to Moses and said, put your hand into your bosom again. Now his hand is leprous. And he's being told now to take a hand that is white with leprosy and put it back into onto his flesh. I want to say it kind of goes against. goes against natural inclination. Does it not? Take your leprous hand now and put it in on your flesh. Did Moses do it? Moses did it. It says, and he put his hand into his bosom again and he brought it out of his bosom and behold, it was again like the other flesh. It was just perfectly well again. You see, in the ministry of Jesus, all through the ministry of Jesus, in the ministry of the New Testament church, we find a manifestation of this authority, the power of God, the kingdom of God. We find it manifest continuously all the time. And yet, in every case, I find these triggering events. Can I call it a triggering circumstance? Can I call it an act of obedience that led to a chronology of circumstance? Things that manifested the miraculous realm or the government of the kingdom of God. But it's something that had to be done. This is another example of Matthew chapter 17. There's so many examples. I'll just select it, uh, a few. Uh, I think you could say there are dozens and dozens of similar examples. Now, Peter was at the temple one day, and some of the uh, authorities at the temple said to Simon Peter, they said, does your master pay the temple tax? Does your master pay the temple tax? Well, the temple tax was a half shekel per person. And Peter said, yes. Let me read this to you. When they came to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your master not pay the uh, half shekel? And he said, yes. When he had come into the house... Jesus anticipated him saying. Now, do you notice that Jesus was not there, personally present, and yet Jesus knew exactly what had occurred? Because Simon Peter did not say to Jesus, you know, when I was, they asked me about the temple tax, Jesus brought the subject up to Simon. And so Jesus said to him, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then truly the sons are free. In other words, there's no legitimate 
requirement on us to pay this tax. We are not, uh, you know, in the eyes of God, bound to pay this tax. But, lest we should offend them, he said, go to the sea. Now, here, here you come now. Here it is again. Here it is again. There is a specific instruction given. Do we know how to receive specific instructions? Do we know what a specific instruction is? How long has it been since you received a specific instruction? I'm not talking about something that we manufacture as human beings because if you put a little pressure on human beings, they can manufacture almost anything. And I'm not an advocate, nor is the scripture an advocate of anything like that at all. We're not talking about trying to put pressure on people to manifest something. Because that's where all these false manifestations come from, originate. It's a human desire to manifest. I know this. I've observed it many times. Perhaps you have as well. You know it's true. After a while, you have no confidence at all in anything that's in the supernatural. We lose our confidence in the realm. Because human beings are trying to manifest and manufacture things. Okay, so Jesus said to him, we're going to basically, he's saying, we're going to pay this uh, temple tax of a half, a half shekel. He said, go to the sea and cast in a hook. Did Simon Peter, do you know anything about this? He was a professional fisherman. He had, since he was the s- s- smallest boy, uh, gone to the sea and casted a hook. I mean, this was second nature to him. He knew. But let me say, what's about to happen had never happened one time to him. Jesus said, go to the sea, cast a hook. I want to say now, see, Simon had to do this. He had to do this. He had to go to the sea and cast in a hook into the sea. He had to do it. And Jesus said, take up the first fish that comes up. In other words, the first fish that you catch. And when you have opened its mouth, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a shekel. A half shekel for you, half shekel for me. Take it to the authorities in Capernaum and pay the temple tax for you and for me. Now, this is what happened. But you see, the point we're looking at this morning is there had to be that event. There had to be that do this, the specific thing to do. So Simon said, all right. So he got his his fishing line and uh, hook and bait and whatever, and he went down to the sea in obedience, and he cast the hook out into the sea, and he got a bite. And he brought the fish in. And he'd done this thousands and thousands of times in his life, probably. And he opened the mouth of the fish. Guess what he found? His hook was there. But there was a shekel there. And it never had happened before. Not one time had that ever happened. Now, what realm is this? This is the realm of the government of God. This is the realm of the kingdom of God where the events occur 
that are beyond the limits of time and space and human ability. We call them supernatural. We call them supernatural because we don't know how they happen. But from the mind of God, he knows precisely how they happen. He has authority over these things. There is nothing over which he does not have authority. He simply commands. You say, how did that chuckle get into the mouth of that uh, fish? I don't know. I can guess. But you can guess too. Why should we spend our time guessing when we don't know? Let's not guess. Let's say when he brought the fish up and opened its mouth. Oh my. There it was. There it was. But you see, the, the, the thing was, he had to do it. He had to do it. But it's not a case of just doing anything. Sometimes we don't know what to do. And we start doing a whole bunch of things that are probably ridiculous. And I don't, I'm not trying to be unkind. We do the best we can. We do the best we can, don't we? We try to do the best we can. And the, the, the more we sense the need, the more motivated we are to do something. I must do something. My wife always says, boy, you've got to do something. You can't just sit here. We've got to do something. <laughs> and I'm more like, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> I'm more like, you know, you can make things a lot worse trying to make them better. And, and she would be more along the line, well, we've got to do something. <laughs> we have to know what it is. We have to know what it is. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 15. And the people had come out to listen to Jesus preach and teach. And oh, they loved it and to have the, the sick healed among them. And it says evening time was coming and his disciples came to Jesus. And they said the place is very deserted here. He said... Uh, it's getting late, and send the multitude away so they can go into the village and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they don't need to leave. He said, they don't need to leave. What is this? Try to wrap your mind around this. I mean, it's perfectly reasonable, rational what they're saying. It's getting late. We can't feed the 5,000 men. We can't feed them. And uh, you better send them away. Would you send them away? He said, he said, they don't need to leave. Now we come to the instruction. It's always this way. Search and find if it's not always this way. In one way or another, you'll find an element. And yet it changes and has different uh, complexions, different uh, circumstances. But you'll always find there's something that is required to be done as an act of obedience. We pray oftentimes for a manifestation of the authority of God. Right? We pray for it. But what I'm suggesting this morning as we walk carefully through this, these thoughts is that there's a moment, always has been throughout Scripture, where there's something that needs to be done as an act of obedience. Not just that there's something that needs to be done, because we don't know what that is. 
there's something that needs to be done as an act of obedience. When that is done, and it's always something that a human being is able to do without any problem, it's not outside of our, it's not, it's not something impossible for us, and yet the result is going to be that supernatural. The result is going to be a manifestation of the kingdom of God, the government of God. Something like a fish with a shackle in its mouth. That's impossible. But what Simon was required to do was very possible. All he had to do was go get his fishing pole, fishing rod, go down to the sea, cast in the hook into the sea, bring in the first fish that bit his hook, and that was it. Open its mouth. That was it. Take out the shackle. That's what he had to do. Could you do that? You could do that. There's not one of us here that couldn't do that. But there's not one of us here that could put a shekel into a fish's mouth. You ever get intimidated by the impossible? Do you ever feel sometimes that some things are impossible? You know, it's, it's kind of human nature for us when we look at something that we would love to see happen, but it's impossible. And yet, it can become intimidating. I don't think this message is anything about that. This message is very easy. It's just obey, do the thing that you can do, but you have to find out what that specific thing is. And so Jesus said, uh, they don't need to leave. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have only here five loaves and two fish. That's it. Five loaves and two fish. That's it. And he said, bring them here to me. Now here's the you see, they had to do it. Bring them here to me. This is the thing they had to do. They had to bring them to him. Well, we know what happened. Then he broke it, prayed, broke them, gave them back. To them. They went and fed the multitude, 5,000 men. They gathered up 12 baskets of fragments that were left over. Now you say, what do you mean fragments that were left over? You mean just people that... They had this food and they got... No, they were broken to serve, but the people were already um, filled and had sufficient to eat. And these were yet unserved, but they were ready to go. Twelve baskets full. Then in John chapter 2, the, very, the first miracle of Jesus at the marriage in Cana of Galilee. And you remember they were had served the uh, wine and they were running out of wine at the, at the marriage. And Jesus' mother came to him and remember he said basically, you know, you almost get the impression he was rebuking his mother, but I, I don't think that was what he was doing. It says his mother said to the servants, now after she had had the conversation with Jesus, this is very interesting. His mother said to the servants, you see, she knew this element is absolutely essential. And this is our topic for the morning. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now then, what they would be doing now from this point is they would be focused on him. All their attention would be on him. And they would be waiting for his instruction. It says there were six stone water pots there according to the purification of the Jews, each containing two or three measures. And Jesus said to them, 
fill the water pots with water. Could you do that? You see, it's always something that the human being is capable of doing. It's not an impossible thing. There they are. They're sitting there. Fill them up to wa- with water. But this is the instruction. Now, when they obey this, this is going to set in motion. You talk about the pebble into the pond. The ripples goes out. When they obey this, they could do any number of other things and nothing miraculous would have occurred that day. No matter what they could have done outside of this specific thing, nothing would have been effective. He said, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. They obeyed. Now there's another one. He said this. He said to them, now draw out and carry to the master of the feast. So they had put water into the water pots, filled them up, and now they had to go to that and take the water out and take it to the master of the feast. And he was calling them, telling them to bring him wine. So again, the human mind has to go through some I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure if I want to do this or not. See, it's always that way. The the human faculties must come into a place of obedience. Always called to do that. And sometimes it's difficult. But the most important thing is to know the specific instruction. Well, we know how this turned out, don't we? the master of the of the feast said it was the best wine why have you kept the best wine to the last he said so we know how that happened in the gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke and John just a quick count just a quick count of Jesus using the phrase it is written I think there's something around 27 times more or less 27 times Jesus would say in specific instances it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. Now, what does he mean it is written? What's he talking about it is written? He's talking about the Old Testament prophets, the Psalms, the books of Moses, right? He's talking about the scriptures. He's saying it is written in the scriptures. What are scriptures? Scriptures are authoritative writings that actually are God's word, where God has influenced a person, a prophet, to write. And so the prophet writes, but the content of what the prophet writes are God's words. So that this becomes the written word of God. The scriptures are the written word of God. Scriptures are not like anything else in terms of literature. The scriptures are authoritative. These are God-given. These scriptures are the same as God's voice. They are God's voice because the scriptures are God's word. You say, well, surely there's, they're not as authoritative as the voice out of heaven. Yes, they are. Are they? Yes, they are. I believe we're going to see that they are. Now, that might be startling for us, but it shouldn't be. Spirit of God comes upon man who is a prophet and inspires the prophet to write so that the Spirit of God inspires the prophet to write the words of God, the message of God. How is that then not God's word? It is God's word. Then how is that lacking in authority from a voice out of heaven? 
It's not. It's not lacking in authority. And so 27 times in the ministry of Jesus, he said specifically himself in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he's talking about this God's word has been written down. Let me give you some examples. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 21, Jesus came to Nazareth where he grew up. And it was on the Sabbath day and went into a synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he, took, uh, he stood up to read. And they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. What's the scroll of the prophet Isaiah? This is God's word through the prophet Isaiah. That's what it is. That's what it is. Now he began to read from Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to do these various things. And then when he finished, he, said, he began to say to them, This day... This is what he said to them after he had read from Isaiah chapter 61. He said to them all assembly, he said, This day, the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. The scripture said that this would happen. And today, this scripture is fulfilled right here in your hearing. You see, Jesus was um, dedicated to the fulfillment of scripture. Dedicated to the fulfillment of Scripture. In John chapter 13 and verse 18, he said, I speak not of all of you. This is before the crucifixion. He said, I speak not of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. This is from the Psalms. This is written by David in the Psalms. And when David was writing this, David was actually writing about a friend of his who had betrayed him. And yet the spirit of the Lord, you see, in the, in the realm of David's circumstance was writing with regard to this. But the spirit of the Lord that oversaw and influenced the writing of the psalm written by David was referring to Judas Iscariot. And so therefore Jesus would say, that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. It's always that the scripture would be fulfilled, that the scripture would be fulfilled. Now, what we're talking about, the reason we're reading this is because I think what we need to see very clear now that the written word, the written word, you know, we say, why, if the Lord would come and show me and talk to me if I heard a voice out of heaven you know if you heard a voice out of heaven how would you know what that voice was how would you know what that voice was we don't go around listening for voices if the Lord specifically reveals in a special way something to his people that's his choosing and he does that from time to time sparingly but what perhaps we don't Understand with the kind of power or force that we need to is that the written word is equivalent to the spoken word is the word of God. And it's no less powerful than a word that would come, of God that would come out of heaven. If Jesus stood here 
and spoke a word to you, would that be more authoritative than the word he spoke to you through John? No, it wouldn't. Now that's just like, I, I mean, I've been involved in opening the pages of Scripture for a long time. But there's a, there's a way in which this is impressing me that is unlike any way it has impressed me before. John chapter 17. The high priestly prayer. Jesus, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition. That's Judas Iscariot is lost. He said that the scripture might be fulfilled. See, again, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The scripture, what's the scripture? The written word of God. The written word of God is the word of God. It must be fulfilled. John chapter 19, verse 24. They said, therefore, among themselves, those who, were cru- who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, they said among themselves, let us not rend it, that's his garment, let us not tear it and divide it among ourselves. Let's cast lots for it. To see who, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. You see, it was all about the scriptures being fulfilled. It's impossible that the scriptures will not be fulfilled. It's impossible that they not be fulfilled because they are God's word. So, if you have scripture, God's word, for something, it's impossible that that will not be effective. It's impossible. How is it possible that it could not be fulfilled? It's the nature of God's word, the purpose of God's word, is to find fulfillment, to find fulfillment. All of it is intended to find fulfillment. That's why it's spoken. So it might be fulfilled. So it might be fulfilled. Jesus always, all the time, was emphasizing that the scripture might be fulfilled. That the scripture might be fulfilled. One more. Even to this. Even to the moment the Lord Jesus hung upon the cross in such agony. With the crown of thorns. With the blood coursing down his face and back hair matted, unimaginable pain and suffering as a sin bearer carrying the sins of the world. And it says this, after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, even if all things now had been accomplished, he's about to die on the cross. He said that the scripture might be fulfilled. <laughs> you see, even now, he's, it's still that the scripture will be fulfilled. In other words, what has been written. I'm really stressing this now because we need to realize that this is God's word. No less God's word than an audible voice, an angel coming and bringing a message from the Father. I say to you, the written word is even more reliable than that. Even more reliable than that. And that's really reliable. For an angel to come and bring a message from the throne of God is really reliable. You have to, you know, you have to understand that that's an angel of the Lord. 
right? But the scripture is every bit as authoritative as that. And so Jesus said that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. I thirst. See, because he had to be he had to be given the sour wine, right? The sour wine. He had to be given that. They had to be offered that. And so when he said, I thirst, then they came and gave him that sour wine that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Even to the very moment that the the Sabbath day is coming to a conclusion, at 6 p.m. the day will end. These uh, two thieves being crucified with Jesus, they, they all must die before the day ends. And so they came to the first two, the, 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 the two thieves, and they broke their legs to uh, hasten their death. And they came to Jesus and found that he was already, he had already died. So they didn't need to break his legs, you see, because he's already dead. So they didn't break his legs. For these things were done, that the scriptures should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. I'm going to, I want to close with you this morning. I want to read. I want to open my Bible in John's Gospel, chapter 14. And I'm going to read a, a few verses. I'm going to start at verse number 8. Then I'm going to share something very briefly with you, and then we're going to close. John chapter 14 and verse 8, and this is a conversation that Philip now, one of his disciples, is having with Jesus. Listen very carefully to this, because I'm going to come up to about verse number 14 and then close. And in verse 14, there's a promise here. And this promise in verse 14 is just so marvelous and amazing. But the verse in 14 where the promise is given is on the basis of everything that has been said previously. So I start at verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. If only we could see the Father. Show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. So Philip is saying, you know, here's Jesus But Jesus is not the Father. Jesus. But he's not the Father. And, and, you know, Jesus, if you would only show us the Father. We want to see the Father. If you would show us the Father, then, oh, we'd be so happy. Right? We'd be so... we, We wouldn't ask for anything else if we could see the Father. Listen to what he says. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? I've been with you for three and a half years. You don't know me? Well, try to wrap, try to just, just relax, just relax. And let the words just kind of settle on your, your thoughts. He said, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. 
So how can you say, show us the Father? What does this mean? What does this mean? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? That the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father, who dwells in me, does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And Jesus is saying, I don't do the works. The Father does these works, but the Father is in me. And I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And you're saying, just show us the Father. Where, where is he? Show us the Father, and we'll be happy. If we could only see the Father, we'd be so happy. And he's saying, you've been with me for three and a half years, and you don't know who I am? What does this mean? this mean who is he he said Jesus said most most assuredly I say to you he who believes in me the works that I do he will do also he who believes in me now he's just talking here about who he is so now he says if you believe in me in other words if you believe in me according to how I have described and who I have described myself as being. Don't believe in me just according to some idea you have in your mind, Philip. Believe in me according to how I have just described myself as being. Do you believe in Jesus that way? Do I believe in him that way? Or am I like Philip? Am I just trying to find the Father outside somewhere of Jesus? Away from Jesus? I'm not commenting on Trinity. I'm not commenting on any of those things. I'm just commenting on these words. That's it. So he said, anyone who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And you see, this promise is a... We've, we've read, how many times have you read this verse? Hundreds of times. We've prayed over this verse. We've prayed over these verses. They seem too good to be true. But he said, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Now he said this, and Whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, what does that phrase in my name mean? It means representing all that I am. To pray in the name of Jesus means to represent all that he is. So he said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let me close with these thoughts. There is something specific that is required to be done. This is the part that we say, do it. Something specifically. This will always be an act of obedience to his words. 
Can you take this passage of scripture here in John chapter 14? Can you take that passage of scripture in John chapter 14? Can you make that your own? Can you believe that? Can you understand who he is? Can you believe in him according to how he has described himself? Being in the Father and the Father is in him. He and the Father are one. The works that I do, he says, the Father does these works in me. And he says, you need to believe in me that way. You need to believe in me that way. And if you believe in me that way, then the works that I do will be the works that you will be able to do. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And asking in his name means to ask according to the fullness of who he really is. We have to do as an act of obedience to his words. The written word has have have the same word the written words have the same authority and power as when they were originally spoken. These words have the same authority and power as when Jesus originally spoke them to John. Not less than, the same as. And the key to this is doing it in his name, which is representing all that he is, understanding all that he is. Take John chapter 14, return to John chapter 14, and search throughout the scriptures to come to a uh, to, to come to a very comfortable place that when we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that we really understand what that means and really understand who he really is because he says if you ask anything in my name I will do it. Well, then according to the pattern, the triggering event then, the triggering event would be to ask in his name. And anything that is asked in his name would trigger a series of events that would manifest the answer. He said he would do it. Is it, is it not that simple? I believe it is that simple. But it needs to be spiritually apprehended. So I'll close with the thought that I began with. I began with... I'm sharing this with you this morning as kind of a, my thoughts. I'm sharing my thoughts with you. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just going to be honest with you. And we need honesty because we there are some things even among us in the room. We are, we're very needy. We need some real, genuine manifestation of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do. We absolutely do. So when you go into this week that lies ahead, pray about this in your homes and yourself personally, but pray about this in your family. Talk about this and, 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 and search the scriptures to find, search the scriptures, find specific instructions or specific promises that are made. And remember that that promise, when you come to it, is exactly as if the Father is speaking that to you right now. 
no less authoritative than that. And if it calls upon you to do something, then do it. Do it. Do it. And the result of that, again, if we're honoring the Lord and our hearts are in the right place and we don't have unconfessed sin in our life and you know we're, we're, we, we are walking uh, close to Him, then the result of that has to be a manifestation of that promise. Has to be. So do it. Do it even in your home. Do it in your private life. Do it in your personal life. Do it. But search the scriptures and find the promise. If you have some question about whether that's a promise that's valid for you, then find another one that you know is valid for you. There are so many valid promises, but remember this as you search them when you come to this promise in the word of the Lord, the word of God, the scriptures. When you come to that promise, know that that carries as much authority written as when it was originally spoken. It absolutely does. And you say, well, what basis is that? The way Jesus treated the Old Testament scriptures. That's the foundation for that. Because he treated them as if they had the same authority as when originally spoken. And I'm going to leave you with that. I'm going to leave you with that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Let his face shine upon you and give you peace.